thanks to Cabbage for supporting Industry Focus. Get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com to get started. Credit lines subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, September 20th, and we're talking about some fairly new publicly traded companies. I'm your host, Don Lewis, and I've got premium analyst Joey Salitro with me in the studio. Joey, what's been going on, man? You've been all over the place the last couple of weeks. Podcasts, YouTube Lives, I don't know how you're doing it. Man, so it's just my companies are all the rage these days, so I'm getting some <laughs> extra attention. I'm loving it. As long as IPOs and SaaS stay in focus, then I'll be here. Yeah, and we're happy to have you here. Uh, we're going to be talking about some tech companies, some ones that you follow. Uh, if, if folks are interested in the SaaS space, you did that YouTube Live a couple weeks back with, I think, Chris and Jason Moser. So that exists over on the YouTube channel in case people want to check that out as well. Check it out. Check it out. Um, all right, so we are talking about three companies today that have gone public in the past month, which is kind of wild. You know, I I think people tend to really pay attention to the IPO calendar when the big names go public. You know, the Lyfts, the Ubers, the Pinterests of the world. The reality is companies are going public all the time. Yeah, I wish people would stop paying so much attention so I could get a decent valuation here and there. <laughs> but, you know, I'll, I'll take them when I can get them. Yeah. All right. So we're going to cover these in chronological order. We've got Smile Direct, Cloudflare, and Datadog. Definitely three companies that we're going to have to explain a little bit. They don't have the brand name recognition of some of the other IPOs we've talked about in the past. Let's talk about Smile Direct Club first. So, Smile Direct, I'm sure a lot of people know the Invisalign brand for braces. What these guys have done is Invisalign is actually a supplier of theirs where they're going direct to consumer with these. They'll have their mold kits, or you can go into one of their smile shops, and they actually have partnerships with CVS and Walgreens. So, they're going to start popping up in there. And basically, they take a scan or they take this mold of your teeth, they ship it to their orthodontist over in Costa Rica, and they create this plan. And then it comes back to a local orthodontist near you that basically says, hey, yeah, they're a candidate for this. Let's give them the green light to go. And then within three to four weeks, you have your uh, new clear aligners. And the cool thing about them is they're reducing the cost of doing this. So I, I was doing some research, and I think traditional braces, whether metal or through Invisalign is you know five to eight thousand, where Smile Direct is eighteen ninety five. They they broke it down below two thousand, and you're going to be wearing these for five to ten months instead of twelve to twenty four months. So shorter time, less money. You don't have to waste your time going to the orthodontist ten to fifteen times, and I, it's just a great business model. And I mean, the growth is real at this one. Yeah, the the way that I kind of think about this one is Warby Parker but for teledentistry. Exactly. So they they made their money and they really got into a market by saying we can cut out a lot of the costs that come with eyewear. We don't need all of these flashy retail locations. They ultimately decided to do that, but for a while they were saying we're going to cut all that stuff out. We're going to bring the cost down because we're doing a direct to consumer model and we don't have nearly as much overhead as some of the other guys out there. That's what Smile Direct has done. The difference is they're doing it with dentistry. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's like if you own your supply chain, you can completely reduce the cost. Where, hey, yeah, you could go to an orthodontist who buys materials from this person or has this person make their braces or their aligners, or you can go to this one company that kind of cut out a lot of the fat, reduce the cost, and it's going to come directly to you. 
You mentioned the growth. Uh, there are some pretty staggering numbers if you look at the financials. They were up 184% year over year in 2018, over 100% year over year growth in revenue the past two quarters. So it seems like this concept is catching on. You know, when you come into the marketplace at a lower price, people tend to pay attention. The other thing, on top of the very impressive growth, gross margin over 75%. I was not expecting that. I thought, okay, based on this growth and what they're doing, they're probably, you know, under 50. So I was shocked. And then you see they're aiming for, I think it was 80 to 85% gross margins long term. That's not that much of a stretch. Some some other stuff that I really like with this business, and people might be surprised that we're talking about it on a tech show because this is in some ways kind of a consumer goods company. But you know, ultimately, the reason that they're able to offer these lower prices is they've figured out a more integrated system to make all this happen. I'm going to give them a tech check because of that. But you look at what they have in terms of inventory. It's tiny. They have very little inventory given what they do in sales. 13 million in inventory at the end of a period where the company did over 600 million, almost 600 million dollars in trailing 12-month sales. You don't see that too often for anything in the consumer goods space. No, and see, and that's one thing I don't play with. I don't like companies with inventory. I love my SaaS companies. You know, if if it is you have this product housed and you have to sell it or you know you have it and it becomes this toxic inventory it's just something i've never had success investing in you know the traditional consumer goods with these heavy inventories or retailers so yes to see this that's definitely what i would consider tech because it's teledentistry it's almost like teledoc where they're saying hey instead of going to the doctor's office we'll bring the doctor's office to you. It says, hey, instead of going to the orthodontist, we'll bring it to you and make it much easier and much cheaper. And if there's anything we've learned over the last couple of years, it's that people will happily take things delivered to their doorstep, pretty much regardless of the industry. Oh, I, I think I'm a very active person. But <laughs> if you tell me, hey, you don't have to go to the grocery store, you can go through Instacart, or you don't have to go to the doctor, use Teladoc. It's one less person for me to have to see and pay you know, an inflated amount of money that you know, I, I'll, I'll pinch pennies here and there. So if I can save, plus I have two daughters and a son on the way, and you're telling me I could spend 1900 for braces instead of five to 8000 a piece. And I know my wife was telling me she had to wear braces for over two years to have some corrections. So I can only imagine how much that was costing her parents. And yeah, I'm, this is just a win-win on both sides for me. Good for consumers. And it seems like it's going to be good for them as a business as well. There's one thing I think that's worth highlighting here is you know, they are not profitable, as you might expect for a company that has recently gone public. And the spend is coming on acquisition. That's really what's taking them uh, into the negatives a lot in SG&A and marketing. And we talk about software businesses a lot, and some of the companies we're going to be talking about check this box as well, where you spend a ton early on to scale your company, and then you have the lifetime value of the customers that you bring in take over, right? And that exceeds whatever you spent to bring those customers in. And I buy that narrative for a software business. I worry a little bit with a more consumer packaged product where, you know, if someone buys something, uh, or they have this, you know, orthodontics uh, kit delivered to them. They aren't a lifetime customer necessarily. You know, they they are being serviced themselves, uh, and then once they have their teeth all in order, that might be it. Well, then you have the retainers. Yeah. So they also do the retainer business. So you do have that. So one thing I like to say is, it, so they're in the ultimate land grab right now. So they have a couple competitors. I know Candid is a notable one, and I was looking through their S one, and I think they had three other competitors that are like them. So what you have to remember is Invisalign. Their patent came off in late 2017. So 2018 was pretty much where these guys had to start pumping out 
uh, as much marketing as they could to acquire as many customers as they could. I think they've been in operation since 2014, and it's pretty much been in preparation for this ultimate land grab that's going on right now. So I know if it, it's almost like you have to be in the market for it. If you search, you know, invisible braces or Invisalign, of course, these companies are going to pop up because that is becoming more popular. And I mean, especially for older people that didn't have braces, like in middle school or high school, they don't want to be walking around with mouths full of metal right now. And I mean, that's definitely what I would be doing. I'd go the invisible route. And especially if you're saving money and it's less time. So I think people are just going to be looking for those alternatives. And then it's it's that land grab. I think that's the only term I could really use. Yeah. And the, the counter, I guess, to that point, too, is that, uh, you know, if you have a family of three, and you you spend to get the first kid, you know, from a marketing perspective, uh, and then a family has three, and all of them need braces. Well, there you go, you're fine. Exactly. <laughs> so you can get the word of mouth going, and then uh, the business results will just kind of take over. Um, all right, we're going to switch gears and talk more traditionally tech here. Um, our second company that has gone public in the last month is Cloudflare, and this one's going to need a little bit more explanation, Joey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even for me. <laughs> so, so yeah, they're they're basically a cloud platform that makes sure all of your mission-critical applications are operating as they should to prevent downtime for your website. So we know in the increasingly digital world, you know, outages could be the death of your company. We talked about the same thing kind of with PagerDuty, where they would alert the same the exact person that you would need to fix a specific problem. These guys help you monitor everything, and also they prevent cyber attacks. So I was looking through um, their S1, and they block, they say, 44 billion cyber threats from 20 million internet properties daily. Which is baffling. Yes. I I thought that was, you know, that was going to be like an annual rate or something. But yeah, 44 billion cyber threats are blocked from 20 million properties daily. And then you look, they have customers that include, you know, SaaS superstars where you're looking at Adobe, HubSpot, and then you even got big retail names like Shopify and Walmart. But then you've even got, they're doing this for the FBI, the U.S. Department of State, so if organizations like that trust Cloudflare to do what they do, they must have a great product. And you look, they have, I think, 74,000 customers right now. So they've added 7,000 this year. They've still got a lot of companies that they could be added to this mix. Yeah, working with the government is generally a pretty good stamp of approval, huh? Yeah, especially the <laughs> FBI and U.S. Department of State. Like that's no joke. So for this company, all of that has materialized into a pretty good growth story, as you might imagine. The tailwinds here are very strong. I don't think those cyber attacks are going anywhere. If anything, I think they're probably going to become more prevalent as we move forward. Um, and and this was a company that actually enjoyed re-accelerated revenue growth. So, uh, for the first half of 2019, revenue hit uh, 48% year-on-year versus a 2018 growth rate of 43%. You'll love to see that reacceleration. I love to see accelerating revenue growth because, yeah, it definitely shows that either the business has been getting more attention from the companies that it should, or their marketing spend was going as, as they wanted. Um, so, I always go back to our, our favorite statistic, the net dollar retention rate. And that's been over 110% for the last eight quarters. So their existing customers are consistently spending more and they are adding a good amount of customers. So that's when you get that that beautiful cohort analysis where they're adding more clients, existing ones are spending more. And this accelerated revenue growth, while it might decelerate starting next year, it's still 
well over 40%. And I think the compound annual growth rate since 2016 was over 50%. And that's very impressive. Yeah, when you can grow your business without having to add any new customers, that's awesome. You know, and then although the new customers that are coming in are gravy, but that shows you are building a product that people want. People are increasing their spend with you, and they're very happy as customers. Um, we kind of tease this, but this company's losing money, and it's because of sales and marketing. Um, they are investing heavily, much like Smile Direct. That's kind of going to be the theme of today's show: is investing heavily because the opportunity is there for all these businesses. Exactly, and there are some red flags that come with Cloudflare that I don't traditionally see with the the SaaS companies that I follow, and this is one of the reasons I did not purchase Cloudflare, which I actually own Smile Direct um, for full disclosure. But when it comes to Cloudflare, they have had two mass outages in the last year. So for a company that is supposed to keep my company up and running and prevent outages, to have two outages in the last year, that was pretty bad. And then they recently stated in the last week that they may have violated U.S. sanctions by providing services to terrorist organizations and drug traffickers. So their defense over this is, hey, we couldn't say this going to the IPO because we were in a quiet period. And I think, how convenient for that. And for for them to not have known that ahead of the filing, like I feel like you should know your customer base better or do your due diligence on them and say, hey, you know, we're going into the biggest liquidity event in our history. Maybe we should make sure we're not servicing some terrorist organizations. Yeah. And and the generous interpretation of that, just to dive into the idea of a quiet period for a second is when you have this filing out there, management cannot go out and make certain comments about the company. Um, it, it's something that is part of the IPO process. And so if they were to have discovered it truly during this period, um, management would have been in a position where they probably couldn't have talked about it. But I mean, yeah, this this seems like a pretty big deal. It's the ultimate. Come on, man! Like, <laughs> so that's. I mean, I was on the fence about buying this one, as as we've talked about previously. I buy a lot of IPOs on day one. I have a completely different investment strategy than than most uh, most people and even most fools here. But that was kind of the one that pushed me over the fence. Like, yeah, let's wait on this one. Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> there's there's some red flags there. There's so many great tech companies out there. I didn't have to force this one. I feel you. Okay, we're going to talk about Datadog, a company that just went public this week on the back half of the show. But before we do, I want to thank our sponsor, Cabbage. Managing inventory, covering payroll, and doing a hundred other things before lunch is just an average day when you own a small business. Your time is valuable, and getting the money you need shouldn't take up all your time. That's why Cabbage created a simple, modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. Cabbage's application process is online, and it takes just minutes to complete and get a decision. If your business qualifies, you can access the amount you need right away and withdraw more funds whenever you need the extra capital. The company has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and has provided over 200,000 small businesses with access to funding. You know, Joey and I are always talking about how companies can scale, what they can do to meet new customers, enter new markets, and it's definitely easier to do all those things when you're a big company that has access to financing. That kind of thing can be tough when you're running a small business. Cabbage is trying to do something to help meet those folks. Get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com to get started. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E.com. Credit lines subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank, member FDIC. Okay, uh, so our last company that we're going to be talking about we, we kind of had to get up to speed quickly on this one because shares just hit the public markets this week, Joey. 
Yeah, Datadog, it's a monitoring and analytics platform. So what they're doing is they give you kind of a real-time insight into your company's entire technology stack. So you could be looking at all your different servers, applications, all your different cloud-based softwares, and you're seeing it in one spot. So it's almost like giving you a bird's-eye view of your entire organization. So you know if something's going wrong, where it's at, it allows you to search it. And it's basically that key player in digital transformation and cloud migration, which it feels like every software company we talk about (laughs) does the same thing where it's focused on, yeah, the digital transformation and making it better for customers or or businesses finding your your service. But Datadog, they've kind of made it easier and put it all on one platform. Yeah, I think that um, even as someone who follows this space, I, I know you and I have both talked about this before, uh, it can be tough to really separate what a lot of these SaaS companies do. And I know that you have some tricks for kind of getting to the root of, okay, who's truly the best-in-class provider here? There are some company metrics that you can help do that with, but um, I know that you like to ask around the fool for some of the subject matter experts that work in spaces, and you have a couple other tricks for also kind of getting to the bottom of this stuff with online forums and things like that. Yeah, so how I'll originally go through an S1 is, I'll completely ignore what a company does. Like I might know, okay, it's a tech company, and I'll look at the numbers first. And when I see over 80% revenue growth and net dollar retention over 140%, a growing customer base, everything about Datadog from the financial standpoint, I loved. So then I back into, okay, now let's find out what these guys do and what kind of competitors there are. So then seeing, okay, with the rise of data, and I think it's going to be a five-fold increase in the amount of data companies have to be analyzing over the next 10 years, finding companies that can make sense of it, monitor it, and make the digital process easier is key. So then I go to you know tech companies, or I go to tech players here at The Fool, and of course we use Datadog. Then I'll check sites like G2 Crowd or Gartner Insights, and I'll see what these other developers or people that actually use software say about these companies. And then I just see, I think it was like 4.5 stars, and I'm seeing all these as good as it gets ratings in comparison to their their key competitors. So then I'll look at the competitors and yeah, it checks out. The reviews aren't as good. And they're basically saying because Datadog is this unified platform where all the other major players integrate within, it, it gre- creates that all-in-one solution, which is another keyword I always like to look for, all-in-one solution. Like, okay, they do what other people do, but they combine it all to where there might be a competitor for a specific division, but not the entire company. Yeah, it's great to be a full-service provider. It's a, it's a pretty excellent space to be in. Um, listeners, tell us if you've heard this one before. Uh, they're a SaaS company, they've got great margins, and they're losing money because they're investing heavily in SG&A. Is, is that pretty much the easiest way to sum, sum them up on the financials, Joey? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, uh, now, this wasn't confirmed by management or anything, but I have seen that they do have previous years where they did reach profitability. So I found a couple different blog posts where it's like insiders, but they wouldn't confirm because they weren't supposed to be saying it. But it's like, yeah, three of the last seven years, they were profitable. And you look at the margins and they're not burning a lot of cash, they're not losing a lot of money. It almost seems like they ramped up spend going into this IPO to boost those growth rates, which makes sense. But even then, you look, their net dollar retention over the last 12 months was 146%. In 2017, it was 141%. In 2018, 151%. So those are the statistics where I just I fell in love going through the financials and it's like I don't care what this company does I'm going to find out 
a way to love it. <laughs> I think at some point we may have to build a small shrine to the dollar net retention figure in the studio so that so that we can occasionally bow to it. Over 140 um, <laughs> percent. I mean, that's it's almost unheard of these days. There's only a few companies. I remember this one, and I think Twilio, and I think PagerDuty was up there too. So yeah, those three companies lately have got my attention. But yeah. Th- definitely a great statistic. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you almost have to do a double take on. And it's proof. You know, you, you go to the forums and you read that, okay, this seems to be a best-in-class provider. Well, that's borne out in the metrics as well, right? You don't get a number like that unless you are proving your value to customers and they're increasing their spend with you. Exactly. And I was going through the timeline of the company. It started as, you know, this base platform that did one thing and then they added another solution and they've added three new solutions in the last three years. So you see people trust the brand. They know that they're very good at what they do. So then they're like, hey, we added this to our platform, which is an easy bolt-on. We think you want it too. So it's great to see. And that could be the primary reason why we have these three great net dollar retention rates. And that could be exactly why they waited to go public so they could say, hey, you know, maybe 2016 was 120% or something like that. It couldn't have been as great. But they knew, hey, if we ramp up spend, go public in 2019, we're going to have some great statistics to show for it. And and it actually kind of brings us to an interesting point here where IPOs can serve a lot of different purposes, you know, and, and companies can be looking to get a lot of different things out of IPOs. You know, at core, they are supposed to be capital raising events. But it seems to me companies like Zoom and Datadog, in particular, I'm thinking about here, these were kind of launch parties for these companies. You know, I think people that were in these industries probably knew the businesses fairly well. Um, but for people that are, you know, investors or just kind of business enthusiasts, they were probably names that they didn't know. But you start throwing some big numbers out there like this, you start ramping up your sales and marketing spend on the customer acquisition side, people are going to start to learn your name, especially when you're going public. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that's where a lot of these investment bankers come into play and they, they have their value for processes like this. But I also think with how popular IPOs are getting these days, I feel like more retail investors are checking those IPO boards, seeing what's coming, and actually clicking the S1s. And, and I think we're doing a great job of spotlighting companies coming down the pike. So, But yeah, for companies like Datadog with these type of statistics, now, you wouldn't think a Cloudflare would get as much attention as they have, but I think that's just kind of how we're all growing as investors and becoming more aware of the companies coming public. Yeah, we've been seeing all these headlines about private companies for such a long time. People are eager to get their hands on them. Um, One thing I did want to get your take on before we wrap up is, you know, people will occasionally look at a company that's gone public and say, oh, well, uh, it's trading 15% where shares were offered. That seems like a broken IPO to me. I think that it's worth diving into that and kind of understanding the incentives of a public offering. Yeah, so what I always look at, and I hate the term broken IPO or mispricing, where if a company a company stock drops, it doesn't mean it's a broken company in any way. So how I like to always talk about it is like, say you run a bakery and you spend years sourcing the right ingredients, perfecting your recipes, and then you go to open up shop, but then someone's like, hey, you know, we'll do that offering to the public. We'll run that in front of the shop. We'll buy your ten dollar pay. We'll buy your pastry for ten dollars. It might have cost you three dollars. And you're thinking, holy crap, yeah, that's a lot of money. Let's do that. Then you walk out on day one and you see you look up at the board and it's eighteen dollars. And you're thinking, how much money did I just leave on the table? Now, if you do a secondary offering down the road or or anything like that, yeah, you might want that eighteen dollars where then they just jack it up to twenty four or whatever the market's paying for it. So that's where I really encourage companies for these direct listings if they can. Now, if they need to raise capital, by all means, 
price based on what the market's saying. Seeing these big pops doesn't mean it's a great IPO. It just means, hey, those investment bankers and their very wealthy clients are now more wealthy. So you can almost see it like these companies build themselves up over a decade, and then these investment banks make their clients as much money in one day as those people made over the last 10 years. So I'm not a huge fan of these IPO pricing, these huge pops, because I feel like they left more money on the table. But a company like Smile Direct, where I think that is a phenomenal company, I bought it myself because I thought the market reacted incorrectly. But to call that one a broken IPO just doesn't make sense because, hey, they made more money on that day of the IPO. Sorry, the investment banks and their clients don't have as much money in their pocket as they did when they bought on day one. But hey, you got to lose sometime. And if you're not focused on the long term, then you shouldn't have bought the company in the first place. But I'm looking 10, 25 years out, and I'm very confident with where I purchased. Yeah, uh, there are different incentives for pretty much everyone along the chain. And the one thing I will say with the, the broken IPO thing is, it's a bummer when shares are finally publicly available and retail customers get in, retail investors get in, and they have a chance to finally buy a company like Lyft or like Uber. And so often, those big names are people's first experience with investing. You know, they're like, "Oh, like I take Ubers all the time. Like I I got to get my hand in this. This has got to be a no-brainer." Um, and sometimes people get bit by that. And it's unfortunate. It's it's a painful investing lesson. But when you're thinking about how companies raise capital, yeah, you want to be maxing out the valuation that you're exchanging your equity for. Yeah, there that's the issue is companies used to come public. I think Amazon came public in the third year of their existence. I think eBay was within the first 5 years. A lot of these companies used to come public so quick because that was how they access capital. Now there is so much dumb money in Silicon Valley where you could be raising a billion dollars and you're two years old and hey, yeah, we can push off an IPO for 10, 13 years. But it's just times have changed with how companies raise capital and where they can access it. So, I mean, it's great for innovation, but for retail investors, we have to wait a very long time and we might have to pay you know, three, four, five times as much as we would if they would have gone public earlier. But you always want to focus on the long term. So I, I always say take that 10-year stance. And I mean, if you're like me, take that 10, 25-year stance and think, okay, yes, this company, say Datadog, it's valued around $11 billion, 41 times last 12-month sales. Pretty hefty. But if they keep these growth rates up, if they can keep it over 60% over the next three years, that's not that bad. So if you're focused long-term, and you're actually invested in the company, not just for the next earnings report, then I think you'll do well. All right. We talked about three companies. Before we wrap up here, I do want to ask you, I'm going to have to force rank those. You know, Which one are you putting them in? Which one's your, your top choice here? Which one um, are you a little bit less excited about? So, I had a feeling you would do that. <laughs> so, I, I own Smile Direct, and I could say I did that because it was only trading at about 12 times sales for over 100% growth. And so they have the highest growth of them all and the lowest multiple. So that was an easy, easy one for me. Then I would go Datadog, which, yes, it's more overvalued than Cloudflare, but I just think the long, I think the runway is more significant for them. And Cloudflare, I feel like a lot of companies will continue to do this. I feel like I've read so much about these companies that enhance performance and give you real time insight into mission critical applications where. I feel like their competitive moat isn't as significant as a Datadog. So, yes, I would go Datadog number two, then Cloudflare number three, even though Cloudflare has a 
a better, in quotes, valuation than Datadog. I think it's reasonable, too, to see the dust settle a little bit on some of the things that are outstanding right now with Cloudflare. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wait for both of these to come back down to earth a little bit. Now, Datadog may never do that. Say they just blow out the first earnings report and just rages on, then, hey, I'll, I'll be standing there clapping and rooting for them. But um, Smile Direct's the one that I could see the long-term runway and actually get behind the valuation and think, okay, the market's got this one wrong. Yeah, what's the investing maximum? You pay for quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and, and when businesses are putting up good results, you're going to have to pay a premium. Um, Joey, thanks for hopping on today's show. Thank you very much for Always having me. It's a pleasure for having you. Um, listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or you can catch a ton of bonus stuff over on YouTube. Uh, there's actually a video on our channel breaking down all the different elements of the IPO chain and the incentives there. You can go check that out. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Joey Salitro, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on. Mm-hmm.